the provincial government's farming chief, Klaus Fockinger, <laughs> says the plan is Fucking a... Cap, <laughs> <Fucking cap. laughs> there it's are limits. Cap. It's Friday, January 15th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, a master's student in civil engineering and Russian Nazi circus goat. And with me today is uh, Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and miniature Middle Earth Capital Stormer, and Robin Pasco, editor-in-chief of Dutch News and this podcast's British mutation of Molly Quell. <laughs> okay. That's an alarming prospect. <laughs> This is a very alarming prospect, yeah. and um, yeah, I have to. Uh, I'm I'm spreading a little bit of fake news right now, uh, Gordon, because I I was looking at your Facebook page as I always do when I need a job title for yeah. you, and I saw that someone shared a photo of this ginormous Lego model of Helm's Deep. Yes, uh, this uh, famous battle from uh, from uh, Tolkien's. Um, uh, um, uh, I want to say Game of Thrones, but that's absolutely no, Lord not of what the it is. Trinity. Lord of the Rings, um, and I thought that this is the capital of one of the these countries, hmm. Rohan or something like that, in 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 Middle Earth, but that's not true. It's it's just a just another random fort. I yeah, guess. it's a place where they had a battle. I think. I mean, to be fair, I haven't read any Tolkien since I was. I read the Lord of the Rings trilogy when I was ten years old, and I was in my school sick bay with measles. Or was it, no, I think it was uh, mumps, actually. Anyway, it was some terrible disease, which was made even more terrible by reading The Lord of Rings in the, uh, <laughs> in, in, in the process of suffering from it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, and somebody posted, indeed, a picture on my Facebook page of somebody who made a Lego model, like a huge, giant Lego model of this battle site, which I have to say, I mean, and, and with the caption, you know, this is something that, uh, that you might... Uh, here's some more Lego for you to step on, because I'm constantly posting stuff on Facebook about, you know, the fact that I've gone into my son's bedroom, he's got a whole warehouse load of Lego and I'm constantly stepping on the pieces I have to say if they used Lego on, on a battlefield it would probably be more effective yeah. than landmines actually yeah I mean, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I agree yeah, yeah indeed yeah. no I was uh, mistaking it for um, Minas Tirith oh yes I that's the one just googled yeah. that yeah, yeah. so uh, my mistake but I, I I loved your job title so much that I just didn't <laughs> want to change it yeah so well, to be fair I mean you said it's a job you said it's a fake title but it is a fake place in a fake country in a uh, yeah, in a not very inspiring fantasy trilogy so I think you can get away with it <laughs> yeah I, I agree. And and, and you are the... Uh, yeah, we picked up the story this week of the uh, Russian Nazi uh, goat circus goats, which we have to say, I mean, we, we, we look for Ophef in the Netherlands, but this is just beyond anything. This is way off the scale that, that we could possibly have in this country. The Russians really go for it when they go for Ophef. <laughs> yeah, they really did. I uh, Yeah, you sent uh, this article to me yeah. um, um, uh, with the caption, well, this is Ophef. If you're talking about Ophef, this is the <laughs> pinnacle of Ophef. Um, I didn't really read the article, so I don't know what it was about, but there was uh, there, there was a lot of outrage in in Russia, <laughs> I believe, for this for this circus goat that was dressed up with swastikas, I believe, or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, it was a it was a great story uh, which I didn't read. So <laughs> yeah, like you, just Google it. Yeah, like you, I basically it. just saw the picture, and I think there were there were two people dressed up in Nazi uniforms. One of whom was doing a Nazi salute, and next to them was yeah. this goat that, uh, like you say, was decorated with swastikas and uh, Nazi regalia. That was, more, was that was all we needed to know. <laughs> exactly, that was the story. Really, yeah. So if you want real Opef, go to Russia. I think is the yeah, take indeed. Where we get from that. Yeah. And Robin, um, uh, you are a uh, British mutation. Yes. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, there, there was a little bit of upheaval, I think, um, um, in the past few weeks because we have, of course, this this British mutation or at least this mutation of the coronavirus that was first spotted in the United Kingdom, and everyone keeps uh, keeps uh, keeps calling it a British mutation, much to the offence of of a lot of people. Most most strikingly, uh, a lot of people who previously insisted on calling coronavirus the China virus. Yes. Um, but how else do we need to call this British mutation? if we don't want to offend uh, people who are easily offended. Yeah, we've had quite a few emails from readers who don't like the fact that we call it the British variant, even if we put inverted commas around British. And I have to say, when we talked about it, I thought, yeah, actually, they're right. We would never say the China virus Mm. or the Chinese virus on Dutch news. So why do we say the British one? So we've come up with a slightly convoluted way of saying it, which is the B117 variant of coronavirus first identified in the UK. Um, So we're kind of calling it the mutant virus. I occasionally call it the British virus still, but put inverted commas around it. Um, But it's tricky because you can't really use a great long sentence all the time. So you need a kind of handy catchphrase. But I think mutant virus is, is quite nice. It kind of sums it up, really. Yeah, I think everybody will know what 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 you're talking about when you call it like that. Um, but yeah, you, they are they're right. We won't call it the China virus, and also the uh, WHO uh, will never use a geographical name in in the name of a virus. So yeah, I, they have a point. Here. Yeah, that's the point. Is that the WHO have been very clear in their guidelines? You shouldn't use geographical designations. And I think if, if you do say British virus, you're kind of giving a license to people who like to say things like China virus. So on balance, probably best not to do it. Also, I think it leads to a secondary misconception which we've seen in the Dutch Parliament this week where there's been a debate which we'll get into later about whether we should have uh, a curfew and some politicians have said no, 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 we don't need a curfew we need to stop flights from the UK um, yeah. <laughs> the, the idea being that because it's the British virus uh, all the cases are coming from Britain but of course that's not true it's circulating in the Netherlands now so yeah. Yeah, if you do that so, so for the sake of accuracy and good policy making I think also yeah, the, calling it the British virus is not a good move Indeed. Um, which uh, What is also not a good move is uh, leaving the uh, European Union. <laughs> yes. uh, and that leads us to uh, this week's OPEF of the week. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily come from the Netherlands, but rather from across the channel, because British media were outraged by footage from current affairs program Eén Vandaag, uh, which showed a Dutch border official confiscating ham sandwiches from British trucker drivers uh, arriving in the Dutch port of Hoek of Holland. Uh, It is illegal to import meat and dairy products into the European Union, and since Brexit became official on January 1st, these rules now also apply to lorry drivers from the United Kingdom. The video shows the border official apologizing to the laughing British trucker driver for the bizarreness of the situation, uh, and he said he was simply following the rules. Uh, He also added, welcome to the Brexit to to the trucker driver. and uh, the video went viral in the United Kingdom and well, countless of newspapers, including the Daily Mirror, The Sun and even The Guardian, wrote uh, furious articles about Sandwich Gate. To be fair, it, it wasn't was really that furious in The Guardian, was it? So, I, mean, I, feel, oh, I think that was the article it? that started, actually. I think uh, John Henley wrote about it in The Guardian, having pitched up from people in the Netherlands who tweeted about it. And that's the, the, that's the point at which it snowballed. But I think his article okay, was well, more kind of... But the British tabloids, they, they were furious, they were but furious. the Guardian yes, wasn't absolutely. that. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, the Daily Mail described the Netherlands as a drug smuggler's paradise. They weren't wrong on this one. Um, and they also wrote that because of air droppings of food by the RAF in World War II 75 years ago, the Netherlands should somehow ignore the rules and regulations the United Kingdom itself agreed to. 
Yes, we had quite a few、uh, emails also from、um, readers about that, pointing out about、uh, food droppings and the importance of those. Somebody even sent us a photograph of a plaque commemorating the food droppings by the Brits to the Dutch at the end of the war. So, I think Sandwichgate definitely hit hit hard in the、hit、UK, nerve, shall、yeah. we say? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The odd thing was, I mean, all of the tabloid coverage was about was suggesting that the port official was mocking、um, the lorry driver because he was laughing at him, but. The lorry driver laughed first. I mean, they were sharing a joke about、yeah. it. I mean, the lorry, the lorry driver was kind of incredulous that this was happening. He was Simon was being taken apart, and the official couldn't really quite believe he was doing it either. Was saying, "Sorry, sir, that's the rules." He was being quite polite, you know. Exactly. I、yeah. think it was typical. Uh, typical uh, Daily Mail、uh, make make a lot of fuss about nothing. Yeah. Actually, yeah. There, there, there's a rule of thumb here that if a British newspaper says "fury as" in front of a headline, it means we're really worked up about this, but nobody else is. <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb,、uh, yeah. I think. Yeah.、Uh, how to read tabloids? Someone should write、yeah. a book about it. This week, we'll update you on the extension of the lockdown and whether or not the Netherlands will get a curfew.、Uh, Robin read the entire PVV party manifesto, so you don't have to.、Uh, and unfortunately、uh, for her, this time it wasn't only half a page long.、Uh, we will tell you why Lodewijk Asscher resigned as leader of the Partij voor de Arbeid only months away from the general elections, and we reveal why Donald Trump can find a new job in Friesland. And hopefully, we can tell you、uh, whether or not we still have a government or not,、uh, because as we are recording、uh, this podcast. On Friday morning, the cabinet is meeting、uh, in the Hague, and、uh, they will decide on their fate if they、uh, will continue or if they will step down over the child benefit scandal. So hopefully,、uh, we can update you on that、uh, while we are recording.、Hmm. The coronavirus lockdown is to be extended for three weeks until February the ninth. That was a widely expected decision of Mark Rutte and Hugo de Jonge at their latest press conference on Tuesday evening. The main reason is that infections aren't coming down fast enough, Rutter said. The number of cases fell by 12% in the last week, but that hasn't translated yet into lower numbers in hospitals or in intensive care. Although the hospital numbers have started to come down in the last few days, the other worry is the emergence of the more infectious B117 strain, which Rutter de Jonge repeatedly referred to as the British mutant or the English <laughs> virus. Um, I'm,、yeah. I'm not so offended by English virus. I have to say that's fine. <laughs> no, <laughs> because you're Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> the more virulent strain is currently、uh, sending emails to editor at Dutch News. By the way,、um, if you want to compl-、yeah. uh, complain about that, no, no, no. Send it to Molly at Dutch News. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Send send emails to Molly at Dutch News if you're、yeah. offended by that. The more virulent strain is currently reckoned to be responsible for one to five percent of all infections at the moment. But the public health agency RIVM warns it is more likely to become the dominant version over the next two months. The current rules haven't changed, except in schools, where children are now required to keep one and a half meters distance from each other, as well as the teachers. That mainly affects children in exam classes and secondary special schools because the others are just working online permanently. Are we getting、uh, a curfew or not, or as we call it in the Netherlands, an avondklok? An avondklok. Yes, this has been kind of hanging over us like、uh, the sword of Damocles, as I think Newsweek put it last <laughs> night,、uh, for a few days now.、Uh, the outbreak management team seems very keen to have a curfew.、Um, it's a proposal. Has been circulating in the media、um, to ban people from going outside unless it's strictly necessary, which includes dog walking. Apparently,、uh, between、oh, really? the hours of eight p.m., so lots of people are going to get dogs now. I think、um, yeah. <laughs> between the hours of eight o'clock in the evening and four in the morning,、uh, which will be stricter than the curfews in countries like Belgium. Belgium's curfew starts well at ten o'clock in most places, although I think Brussels is midnight.、Uh, the idea, obviously, is to limit home visits because home visits now account for、um, the largest share of infections where they've traced the source, around one third.、Uh, it's very 
controversial. Uh, opposition parties are against it. That includes Kate Wilders' Pei Fei Fei. He says it's an excessive restriction of personal freedom. But also Desen Zestuch and Hun Links, uh, who say we should try other measures first, like restricting flights from London. Um, but of course, although it's called the British disease, it's not just people from the UK who are trans- transmitting it. It's caused local outbreaks in a primary school in Bersehoek, near Rotterdam, and a nursing home in Friesland. So there are the other sort of side of what the government's doing is vaccination. And, and how are we doing there? Uh, yeah, lots of people asking how the vaccination program is going. And the uh, answer in a word is very slowly. Um, around 50,000 people have been vaccinated so far, nearly all of them acute care workers, uh, which is around one person in 400. And I've been doing this for a week, so if we carry on at that rate, it'll take about eight years to get around the whole population. Uh, the good news is that the European Medicines Agency has received the application this week for the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is the basket the Dutch have put most of their eggs into. A uh, decision expected at the end of the month, uh, although it will still have to be approved by the European Commission. The Netherlands has ordered 11.7 million doses of the Oxford-based vaccine, with an option for another 3.9 million. The greater version of that... The great advantage of AstraZeneca is it doesn't need to be kept in deep, cold storage, unlike the Pfizer vaccine, so it's easier to distribute to places like GP surgeries, which kind of suits the very devolved um, Dutch healthcare system. And also the Janssen vaccine, which is being developed in Leiden, that should be available in April, and the big advantage of that is it's a one-shot vaccine. Um, so the vaccine rate... And it's a Dutch uh, vaccine. Yes, yeah. it's, it's got a Dutch... And if Geert Wilders has his way, it'll have a Dutch flag on it. <laughs> a happy Dutch vaccine. Yeah, indeed. And not a Luxembourg flag. But yeah, um, the vaccine rate should, well, will have to pick up. Uh, currently, it's, uh, we're vaccinating less than 10,000 yeah. people a day. And it has to be, it has to be much quicker um, as they get into the larger population groups. And the Netherlands, uh, I saw a chart yesterday, is uh, currently second bottom of the European Union <laughs> League of uh, who is Who is the lowest? The lowest is Bulgaria. We're just above Bulgaria. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's just... Uh Yeah, really strange to see your country uh, so low on on these lists. Yeah, and um, yeah, but it's. Um, I mean, one of the selling points for the Netherlands for me before I moved here was uh, they, they had this wonderful vaccination program. You know, where children <laughs> they, they meticulously log when children have got the vaccinations, and uh, you know you have this little booklet that you that you keep in your house and carry around with you, and you think one thing the Dutch really got sorted is vaccination, but no. I think I think we're being a little unfair, actually, to be honest. I think that, that you know, it might be low now, but it, we might be a lot better organised than other countries where they are having huge problems. In Britain, they may be top of the chart, but there are massive issues. They've got a shortage of vaccines now. People aren't being vaccinated when they're told they are. They're told they are. So there's a lot of problems. My parents in Scotland, you know, in their late 80s, have had no indication of when they're going to be vaccinated, for example. But if you believe that... British media, everybody over the age of 85 should have been vaccinated or had at least one jab by now. So it's, you know, mm. I think we're being a little bit unfair and I think we, we can only really yeah, see quantity the Dutch. is, of course, not the same as quality. but No, and I think, you know, that we need to give it a, a couple of weeks and then we'll get a better idea about what the, about what the situation in the Netherlands is. I mean, yeah. the Dutch are very easy, very good at beating themselves up for not doing a good job, you know. I mean, it's one of, one of their things that they... They tend to do as well. On the one hand, they're very, very proud, but on the other hand, they are good at saying, "Oh, we're doing this so badly." Blame, you know, blame everybody else. <laughs> so, uh, 
you know, I think we need we need a couple more weeks, you know, a month or so, and then we'll get a better picture of how well we're performing here. You know, we may move up the chart. I suspect we will. The one thing that does baffle me is that they keep changing the rules on who gets the vaccines first. So because there's all kinds of lobbying and polder discussion about uh, whether healthcare workers should get it first or elderly people. And if healthcare workers get it, shouldn't GPs get it? And shouldn't nursing care workers get it? And surely your first priority is just to make sure everyone gets vaccinated as quickly as possible. I feel like we're losing sight of that a bit. That's also true. Yeah, it is very complicated. And I really haven't got a clue when I'm supposed <laughs> to be be in the list, but uh, low down the list, I think. <laughs> Yeah, in a month, uh, hopefully we'll uh, we will see better results uh, from the Netherlands. Yeah. And if not, then I will blame you, uh, Robin, <laughs> personally. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can also uh, uh, speaking of the um, of the curfew. Uh, wasn't wasn't it in Canada where where, where this lady uh, just put a leash on her husband yes. and just uh, walked her around on the street? So yeah, th- there are plenty of <laughs> of loopholes to find. Uh, yeah, uh, if you really but desperately want to go out at uh, 10 p.m. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean sh- sh- surely that happens uh, in Amsterdam quite regularly, Robin. Yeah, there's been <laughs> yeah, people going around going with, their, with their partners on a leash. Not in my neighbourhood, <laughs> it doesn't. We're very respectable here. Lodewijk Ascher announced on Thursday in a video on Facebook that he will not lead the Partij van de Arbeid into the March 17th general elections. Ascher said in a video the reason for his resignation is the growing lack of trust within his party over his involvement in the child benefit scandal. Thousands of people were forced to pay back thousands of euros to the government after being wrongfully accused of committing fraud with child benefits. Ascher was the Minister for Social Affairs in the previous cabinet and was therefore responsible for the cabinet's anti-fraud policy. The Parliamentary Inquiry Commission on the Child Benefit Scandals published a damning report last month in which it concluded that Usher was one of the top officials responsible for the ruthless anti-fraud tactics used to financially ruin innocent people. A few days after the report was published, Usher wrote a long apology on Facebook where he said he was ashamed for his role in the affair and the conclusions of the Inquiry Commission. However, these apologies weren't enough for a growing number of Labour Party's members. Uh, a motion of no confidence was announced at the PvdA's party conference later on Thursday, which was expected to be supported by one-third of the members, after which Usher concluded his position as party leader could not be maintained. But Asher served, okay, in Rutter's previous cabinet as social affairs minister, but then he became an MP. So how's he done since then? Um, well, I think generally speaking, he did very well in the Tweede Kamer. Uh, of course, Usher had the benefit that he had worked with Rutte for four years on a day-to-day basis, and that meant that he had first knowledge of Rutte's debate uh, tricks and tactics. So Usher was one of the few opposition leaders that really was able to sometimes corner Rutte uh, once in a while during a debate. I think the other um, NRC described Usher's debate style as sovereign because he typically memorized his speeches uh, by heart and never uh, used a piece of paper. Uh, to speak from. Uh, This allowed him to step forward as the leader of the left-wing opposition parties who often uh, joined forces during debates with Rutte. Uh, However, he initially had difficulties to find a new position for Labour as one of the smaller opposition parties and that was something that was, yeah, the the Labour Party literally never had experienced because they had nine seats after the last elections and before that they always had 30 plus seats. Um, In uh, in the first year, he, uh, in, in his first years, he also had trouble to get rid of his 
his association with Mark Rutte, because, you know, after all, he served as his vice prime minister in the previous cabinet. And in later years, he, he, he finally managed to distance himself from Labour's past as the former uh, Days uh, coalition party. But in the end, this ghost came back to haunt him even worse than, than ever before in the form of this child benefit scandal. So, yeah. Um, uh, uh, the favor the day uh, ghost really really got him here I think so once again Rutter's habit of uh, kind of causing the downfall of the people who line up behind him has, um, has done for Asher as well so who's going to succeed him as Labour leader Paul? Well, that remains the question because there is not a natural successor successor of Usher in the party. Um, two men who are often named as a potential new leader is are the European Commissioner Frans Timmermans and Rotterdam Mayor Ahmed Abu Taleb, but uh, they both already told the party's board that they are not available. Uh, one of the more experienced Labour MPs, uh, such as Henk Nijboer, could take up the, uh, the the leadership in the Tweede Kamer, or perhaps one of the newcomers. Uh, but I think most eyes are focused on the two women on top of the candidate list and these are Lilian Plume, who was also a minister in Rutte's previous cabinet, and also the chair of the Tweede Kamer, Kadisha Arip. But I don't think she uh, will be willing to take up uh, th- her position because as the chair, she she sort of has this um, uh, uh, um, uh, image of uh, uh, impartiality, I think, and she don't want to give that up, uh, uh, leading a party and then having debate people she also chairs in the Tweede Kamer. So I think uh, if I... If I uh, have has, if I have to put my money on some someone, I think Lilian Plumer will do it. Yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree. I think also, also Katisha Reeb seems to be quite comfortable in her job and quite and, and very good at it. And uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure she'd want to give it up at this stage of her career to to, to lead the party into an election campaign. I mean, that's a, that's a very precarious time to to take on the leadership of a party yeah, that's obviously having a lot of internal disputes um, about you know, not just Lord of Agacasa, but uh, the party's line in general on the um, during the Tuslaken affair. So what will happen then if the cabinet does collapse? What happens for the next few months before the general election? Well, interestingly enough, actually not that much will change if the cabinet decides it will step down later this afternoon because the cabinet in its entirety will become a caretaker government as soon as uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte offers the cabinet's resignation uh, to the king. And this means that the Prime Minister and all the other ministers will simply stay on because the king will not formally accept the resignation until a new coalition is formed and a new uh, cabinet can be appointed and that is only after the election uh, and the election is only two months away so there's no need to um, uh, to, to call for, for an early election so this resignation would be purely a symbolic one because the exact same thing would have happened uh, only two months away uh, from now uh, and that is immediately uh, the, the whole point of, um, of the people who are opposed to this symbolic resignation um, 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 it's not a real consequence and it's not really taking responsibility for what happened in this child benefit scandal yeah and Russia's cause hinted in the last few days um, hasn't he that, 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 that even even if the government does collapse so uh, which we're sort of expecting now that it will still be uh, on the corona crisis it will still be mentally uh, in, in in power so obviously what, what, what the, the other thing that happens is when you have a caretaker government uh, the parliament 
draws up a list of um, controversial subjects which is not allowed to which yeah. the government is not allowed to put forward policy on because the idea is that um, the government has lost its mandate and therefore it uh, it has no right to um, to make partisan decisions but uh, obviously corona will be ring fenced uh, surely as uh, as a non-partisan issue or as a cross-party issue and there are other ways of still bringing in legislation I mean I remember when the last uh, time the government collapsed which was Ritter's uh, first cabinet in 2012 because here Wilders pulled out of it uh, they had to come up with an emergency austerity plan and what that happened then was a coalition of five parties within parliament just got together and drew up a plan so it is still possible to legislate even when you don't have a government in office so people worried that the pandemic response will collapse because there's no government uh, should be assured that uh, that won't happen and of course, during the election campaign, that the cabinet always becomes a caretaker cabinet anyway. So we're just kind of doing it yeah. a little bit early, aren't we, really? Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, yeah, it's exactly. going to carry on in this way um, after the election for several months because the coalition negotiations will go on. Um, yeah, so, so we're going to have a caretaker government now probably until the summer, uh, by which time, of course, we might be in a very diff- different situation regarding the uh, corona pandemic. If you'd like to help us to help you keep up with the latest lockdown rules or whether the government is in office, in power or whatever, you can now sponsor the Dutch News Podcast on Patreon. All new patrons get a free shout-out on the next episode and you can ask us any questions you like. We might even try to answer them. Our newest patron, Ishan Bhatt, got in touch with us this week to tell us a bit about himself. He's from Mumbai in India and moved to Eindhoven in 2016. He now lives in Utrecht where he's doing a PhD which, in his words, deals with developing algorithms to analyse medical images such as MRIs to detect anomalies. Um, that sounds really interesting yeah. I've no, I don't really understand much about what it means but it sounds uh, really important <laughs> work uh, if you can develop an algorithm that can detect when the Dutch government's about to collapse you might be onto something uh, there Ishan <laughs> he says uh, quote thank you for putting out such an entertaining informative show well thank you very much for your support as well and thank you very much yeah, yeah. thank you yes if you'd like to join our select band of podcast patrons log on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl we might be looking forward slightly to March the 17th, but Geert Wilders and his Pave are uh, absolutely looking forward to it because they finally published their manifesto for the general election. And unlike last time around in 2017, it's not just half a page of text. In fact, this year, Wilders and his henchmen have come up with a 50-page document which calls for, and I quote, a country without headscarves, but with old-school Dutch cosiness. Just on a point here, Robin, did old-school Dutch cosiness not uh, involve wearing headscarves? Uh, yes, it did, actually. But I don't <laughs> yeah. think we need to go into that too much, you know. I mean, he, he will get a... Acu- you know, it, Wilders was very keen when this was published to make sure he wasn't being accused of racism and things like that. So mm. I think we should we should keep that very low low key, oh, yes. I think, you know. I mean, let's forget the fact that the PVV says it aims to de-Islamize the Netherlands by banning people from spreading Islamic ideology, closing borders, ending refugee p- permits for people from Syria. It wants to close all refugee centres and establish a minister of immigration, re-emigration and de-Islamization. And it wants to ban Islamic faith schools, but keep those from other faiths. That sounds not very constitutional, I have to admit. uh, No, not not really, not really. I mean, he does want to do some things that all the other parties want to do. He wants to spend more on healthcare and more on housing. But he also says that the Netherlands should leave the EU, scrap the public broadcasting system and use the army to regain the streets, whatever that means. (laughs) Um, Incidentally, the manifesto slogan is, it's about you. 
But I guess that depends which you is being talked about, really. Yeah. I have one pressing question. Does the PVV also want a Dutch space agency or not? <laughs> I have to tell you, I don't know. <laughs> it's not in the manifesto? I didn't read the manifesto, all of it. Oh. I didn't <laughs> oh, get to them. Uh, oh, I now. spread some fake you news uh, <laughs> earlier in the podcast. Cats. More fake news. <laughs> <laughs> I will read it. I will. I will answer my question myself then. Yeah. Yeah. But but who has proposed the Dutch space agency, Paul? Uh, that was the Forum for Democracy. Yes. They yeah. want a they they want a Dutch alternative for GPS. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 yeah. Which is idiotic. Yeah. But okay. Yeah, that's they, fine. they want to send the FEOC spaceship uh, into the yeah. stratosphere, don't they? Too. <laughs> yeah. I I love that meme. Yeah. That was very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, so yes, and also the PVFA want to just uh, they say they can fund all their extra spending by scrapping the international development budget, which I'm not sure uh, any economist would uh, would say would actually uh, finance it. But anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all here builds as hobby horses, basically, isn't it? It's immigration. It's uh, everything's yeah. fault to the immigrants. Um, we should send the Muslims home. Um, uh, Islam is, uh, is is the same thing as terrorism, and uh, yeah, nothing new really. So, what's the reaction been from other parties? Well. Uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting when it was published because the NOS got in for a lot of stick for its headline, which basically just talked about the coziness and the headscarves, but didn't mention all the all the anti-constitutional, you know, far right policies which Wilders was uh, proposing. They they did eventually change it after quite a lot of comments, but uh, uh, that was a kind of odd odd thing to pick out, I thought. But I mean, mm. it, it, we haven't really got a clue what it's going to mean for them in the polls. Um, the PVV is in second place, but we haven't had a new poll of polls for quite some time so we don't know mm. and it's really hard to imagine what new voters that Wilders would expect to attract with phrases such as the Netherlands has become a paradise for migrants and even the illegal immigrants are pampered I mean this is the stuff he's been churning out for years and years and years so if you don't vote for him already you're not going to vote for him now are you mm. and you know harking this harking back to the good old days is a typical of Wilders approach as well you know the nostalgia for the Netherlands when farmers wore clogs dad smoked a pipe by the fire homosexuality was considered to be a mental disorder and women married women were not allowed to work by law and of course they wore headscarves to the shops as Gordon said earlier but uh, that's another story anyway Yeah so looking at the PVV manifesto Wilders does not seem to be very serious about winning then Oh, he says he's approaching the election very seriously, but you do have to wonder if any party is going to join them with this rabid anti-foreigner line. A steady leader, Wopke Hoekstra, has already said he can't imagine working with the PVV. And, you know, we shouldn't forget that the Christian Democrats and the Liberals, Mark Rutter's VVD, formed a minority cabinet with uh, Wilders uh, after the 2010 election, which collapsed 18 months later when Wilders kind of dropped them. Um, mm. It's also, I think, worth pointing out that support for the PVV has peaked at around 25% in 2016. But Wilders only won 20 seats at the 2017 general election, and that's around 15% of the vote. And of course, some of his support's gone to Forum for Democracy and some of it to the various splinter parties. But, uh, you know, it, there seems to be kind of limit on the far right support too. And in 2017, if you remember, much of the foreign press seemed to think there was a real chance that Geert Wilders yeah, would be hmm. the next prime minister. And 
any foreign press listening to this, that just ain't going to happen. No. I mean, he doesn't want to. No. None of the other parties want to um, go into a coalition with him either because Rutter has said quite categorically he will not um, do any deals with Wilders if Wilders doesn't apologise for his few Moroccan speech and Wilders has no yeah. uh, no intention of doing that at all. Now, also, Rutter, I think, um, has never forgiven him for the way he walked out in the 2012 uh, cabinet, uh, just as uh, they needed to make these very hard decisions about um, budget cuts. Um, and of course, yeah. the, the, the parties on the left, uh, the, the Labour Party, the PVDR, Kuhn Links, and Dezen Zestuch um, are implacably opposed to Wilders, and would, there's no circumstances in which they were going in a coalition with them either. So it's, not, it, it's, it, it, it's a zero chance uh, option. Indeed, and, and it's not, Wilders just doesn't want to. To, to to join a coalition whatsoever because you know his reason of existence is raison d'être is being an opposition party mm. and as and as soon as he you know takes responsibility and joins a coalition then uh, he can no longer you know the whole basis of his party will 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 fall away because he is an anti elitist party an anti government party um so yeah he doesn't want to join a coalition uh, that was the aim of his of his party manifesto um and other parties uh, 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 already said that they didn't, will never join a coalition with the pvv um and that's fine with the pvv actually because now they can say well look at all these parties that just uh, are ignoring us and that ju- mm. don't want to work together um and that is everything he wants actually and all the other parties can uh, can also um, uh, be on the moral high ground because they uh, exclude um, uh, the PVV. Uh, they, they say, well, uh, 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 in principle, we don't exclude other parties, but you know, this party manifesto is simply goes too far. So we can we can never see ourselves joining a party. So everyone is happy now, and uh, yeah, we can. Yeah, um, it's a classic Wilders tactic where he complains uh, very loudly about being excluded by the by the elite and the party cartel. When actually, when you read his manifesto, he's excluded himself. He's he's produced yeah. a document that no, that no um, you know, credible party could. Uh, could accept as a basis for a coalition negotiation. So, uh, and Wilders has taken a lot of support back in the last year. We've seen from former for Democrat C, who've had all kinds of uh, troubles with anti-Semitism and uh, getting into bed with conspiracy theorists. Um, what news of them, Robin? Well, Forum published its manifesto between Christmas and New Year, which was a kind of strange timing, I thought. Like they were kind of burying it away in the festivities. But of course, there's a lot of overlap with the concepts in the PVV manifesto, even if they use slightly grander language. It basically boils down to more culture, more tradition, more Dutch language, more national sovereignty, less NOS, less modern architecture and an intelligent withdrawal from the EU. The polls give Forum four seats, double their current two, but that's a pretty poor showing considering how high the party was riding a year ago when it was even bigger than the VVD. So I think we can discount them, really. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there's also the breakaway party now, uh, Ja Einen Twinter, who seem to be uh, level with them or have, uh, um, uh, maybe overtaken them in the opinion polls. Of course, that's just split the FAD vote, what's left of it, right down the middle. Yeah, the the latest polls I saw, I think it was from Ipsos, uh, polled uh, FED at three seats and the Ja 21 party uh, uh, at two seats. Mm. So yeah, Ja 21 is indeed taking away a lot of votes from the from the FED. I think, yeah. 
In total, around 2,700 companies were declared bankrupt in the Netherlands last year, the lowest figure in 20 years, National Statistics Agency CBS said on Tuesday. The total is down 16% compared to 2019 due to the impact of government support measures for companies hit by the coronavirus crisis. Economists and other experts expect the bankruptcy rate to rise sharply when government support is phased out and the crisis is under control. However, not all sectors reported a drop in the number of bankruptcies and the hospitality industry saw a rise, particularly in the second quarter of the year. The drop in bankruptcies was reflected across nearly all provinces, particularly in Zuid-Holland and Utrecht. However, there was an increase in the number of bankruptcies in the province of Zeeland, which might have to do uh, with the fact that their hospitality industry is uh, the largest in the country, I think. So some parts of the catering sector are struggling, but of course uh, the takeaway sector is booming, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Uh, Food delivery group Just Eat Takeaway delivered almost 180 million meals in the final three months of last year, an increase of 57% on the same period in 2019. And I think I personally accounted for at least 20 million uh, of these meals, Mm -hmm. I think. Revenue in the fourth quarter was up 60% at around 740 million euros, the company said in a trading update. The growth was particularly strong in Britain and in the Netherlands where the company is based. It delivered 38% more meals here. In total, the company processed 588 million orders last year, a rise of 39% on 2019, and uh, they generated revenue of almost 13 billion euros. The company was founded in 2000 by a student in the Netherlands and now operates in 23 countries. So yeah, if you are a student and you have a stupid idea, just do it because yeah. uh, next thing you know, 20 years later, you have a revenue of 13 billion euros. Yeah, you never know when the next pandemic might break out. Indeed. It's uh, just if, if you live in Britain, just don't order anything from the Netherlands because you know, it will be confiscated yes. at Hook of Holland. Yeah. And, and also if you live in the Netherlands, don't order anything from Britain because it'll be charged VAT at the door. My mother has, has run into terrible troubles now trying to send birthday presents to my youngest son because it's going to cost a lot more and she's got to fill in customs forms and you know it's all very complicated and she's just said actually you're going to get money from now on so she transferred money and then discovered there are more costs probably attached to that so she said <laughs> no presents anymore then <laughs> wow the effects of brexit are really 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 terrible yeah. In sports news, the late start to the Eredivisie season has meant a shorter winter break and a bumper crop of fixtures at the start of January. Ajax and PSV drew two all in the arena in the first Klassiko of the season on Saturday. The Amsterdammers came back from 2-0 down at half-time to keep a point ahead of their opponents at the top of the table. And then in midweek, PSV went down 3-1 to Azad Alkmaar on Wednesday, while Ajax squeezed past SV Twente by the same scoreline in Enschede, thanks to two late, late goals by Klaas-Jan Huntelaar, which could be his last goals for Ajax, because he's talking about a move for Germany. All that means it's uh, very exciting at the top of the table. Uh, Ajax are three points clear, and then Feyenoord and Vitesse Arnhem, the surprise package of the season, uh, are level on points behind them, and PSV are one further point behind. At the other end of the table, it's not looking good for FC Emmen. The only side from Drenthe ever to play Eredivisie football looked to be heading back to the Gokenkampioen Divisie after two seasons. They were all set to survive when last season was abandoned because of coronavirus, but they haven't won a league match since, and in their last outing they went down 4-0 to Heracles in Almelo, and that leaves them four points adrift of Willem II as Hekerslauter as we approach the midway stage. And this weekend, there's another blue riband fixture as Ajax take on the team who are now in second place, Dick Advocats Feyenoord. 
Uh, Robin, you've got some exciting news about Ajax this week as well. Yes, uh, Lasse Schoner, the master of the free kick, has been spotted training at the Ajax ground. He went off to Genoa in 2019 after spending his entire career in the Netherlands. He came here as a 16 or 17-year-old after being scouted by Heerdefein, can you imagine? But it's not been a success in Italy and he got them to tear up his contract just after Christmas. I should say the fact Ajax is letting him train with the reserves and possibly the first team does not necessarily mean he'll be rejoining the Amsterdammers, despite the uh, rather vocal Twitter campaign to get him a contract. But he is keen to be part of the Danish squad for this summer's European Championship. So training at Ajax is his way of keeping his hand in, or, or should I say his foot. I actually interviewed him before he went off to Italy and he told me then that the Netherlands would always be his home and he would be back. So we shouldn't be too surprised that he's been seen. Robin, can you enlighten me? Why did you take over the sports section here? <laughs> Do we have someone on the podcast who's actually interested in the sports section? <laughs> yes, I, I do follow the football, I have to say. Uh, uh, I, I have two. I had no idea. Yeah, I have two Ajax Seed Sons, so I had to. I bought them both Ajax uh, kit Christmas presents, even though they're 29 and 27. So, uh, <laughs> Were they limited edition shirts? The limited gold ones that they used to play in Europe. So, uh, yeah, no, very fancy. I had to order them in advance, took forever, cost an absolute fortune. <laughs> but, you know, they were happy. So, it was worth it. Oh, well, that's the main thing. You know, there's somebody else back, actually, as well as Lassie. Uh, the wolf is absolutely back with a vengeance. It was extinct here for 150 years, but now we can say it's well and truly migrated back home. Because this <laughs> week, this week, we were treated to a very special event. There was a wildlife camera in the Hokarvelua Natural Park where they spotted eight wolves together walking along a little path through the trees. They're all members of the same family and the organisation that put the camera there, the Dutch Mammal Association, says the footage shows that seven of the nine cubs which are known to have been born there in 2019 and 2020 are still alive. The association's been monitoring their droppings and we know their diet consists of red deer, fallow deer and young wild boar all animals considered to be a bit of a pest in large numbers and all animals which are culled. So no one's complaining about that then? Mm, although some people are. Ah, uh, yes. Not everyone is happy about the return of the wolf, no. Um, five sheep farmers from Friesland have called on the provincial council to build a 150-kilometre fence along the border from the Iselmere to the Lausmere to keep out the wolves. The five have formed a foundation, the Wolfenheck Friesland, or the Wolf Fence Friesland to campaign for the fence, which they say should run right along the border with Groningen and Drenthe. The estimated cost is some two million and the plan, they say, is deadly serious. Are they going to ask the wolves to pay for the wall, though? <laughs> no, they're going to they're gonna ask Drenthe to pay for uh. the wall. They didn't actually get around to talking about the money, actually, on the website when I looked at it. So I wasn't quite sure. I <laughs> guess they want the provinces to pay. Um, I mean, wolves, you know, have been breeding in the Netherlands for some time and they have spotted one or two in Friesland, but it's not as if they've really made Friesland their home. And they do, of course, kill the odd sheep and they do kill even baby Highland cows Ooh. last year. Four of them were killed, but we are talking baby Highland cows, not the great big monsters that you see walking around in the <laughs> <laughs> and of course, farmers whose livestock are killed can claim compensation from the government. But the Frisians say the compensation does not make up for the loss or the extra time needed to fill in all those forms to make a claim. So what has the reaction been to the plan until now? Well, the provincial government's farming chief, Klaas Fokinga, says the plan is a non-starter. It would be impossible to place a fence around the province, he says, 
partly because it would have to cross all that land in private ownership and that would take years to get anybody to agree. And a foundation set up to help the farmers make their farms wolf-proof also dismissed the idea. They say the fence would have to be extremely strong and electrified, otherwise the wolves will either jump over it or dig under it. By the way, last summer the province did pass a a motion calling for measures to be taken to keep Friesland wolf-free. And perhaps Hit Wilders has some tips or something he could pass on. <laughs> it does pay for favorite manifesto uh, to say they should just send the wolves home back to Poland or wherever they came from. Well, they probably do, actually. I mean, it has happened in the past. A few years ago, down south, there was a PVV local councillor who campaigned on having the Highland cows sent back to Scotland. <laughs> because they were foreign. <laughs> and it, it caused a bit of an op-hef in Scotland, that actually. It was the front page of the Daily Record newspaper there, but uh, it was a true policy. No more Highland cows, no more of the uh, miniature Polish ponies that you also see when you're in the dunes. So um, if they would do something about the parakeets, which have taken over our bird table this winter, that would be great. I know, I like the parakeets. <laughs> the parakeets can stay. In fact, I want the parakeets to drive out the seagulls. They're the real menace. So we talked about the Dutch government being incapable of setting up, uh, you know, a vaccination plan. Uh, you know what what they do very well? That is uh, drawing up protocols for wolves. Mm. Uh, for example, I'm looking now at the operational wolf protocol phase one. It's an 80-page document outlining everything that needs to be done whenever more than five wolves are in the Netherlands. So yeah, it's um, the, the the contrast between uh, these two things is uh, striking. I think. Yeah. More pages in the PVV manifesto, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That's all that we have for you uh, this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl, and you can earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek and Roman Pasco. I'm Paul Peters, and we'll be back next week. Enough uh, ranting. Yeah, enough about, ranting about uh, uh, Bode. Yeah, we got the space agency thing in, so that's the main thing. <laughs> Indeed, that's all, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Well, I, I can rant about uh, the the neoclassica architecture of. Oh yeah, uh, no, no, that, yeah, of, so, yeah. That, I thought you might want to bring that up, but yeah. Because yeah. they they yeah they use the wrong terminology, which basically indicates that they have no idea what they're talking about. But that's a, oh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, economics.